Dear Heavenly Father, I want to express my gratitude again for the privilege we have to be here in your presence. And now as we open the Bible, as we open this precious book that has been preserved down through the centuries and we thank you for it. As we open it and read from your word and we study your word, may your voice be heard. May I be merely an instrument that the ideas and the thoughts that I express here may be guided by you. And may everything that is, that is said here this morning be an expression of your will and your thoughts. Open the hearts of, and minds of everyone in, in this church here today. May we all leave this place different from when we came. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, every, every single human being at some point may have thought or may have stopped to think, how special am I? Am I really that special? And you know, maybe it's a need we have to feel special, to feel valued. But you know, uh, I, I was looking at the dictionary to find a good definition of special. And this is what the New, uh, New Oxford American Dictionary uh, has to offer. Uh, special is an adjective, and it means better, greater, or otherwise different from what is usual. And you know, uh, I'm not sure I want to be special, because I'm not sure I want to be better or greater than, than other people, or different from, from what is usual. Uh, and I'm not even so sure that all of you are special. But one thing I know, this one thing I know, and this one thing I'm sure of, is that maybe I'm not special according to this definition we have here, but I am loved. And that I know for sure. And I know that you are loved as well. And even if here on earth we may want love, we may feel the need of being loved, we can rest assured that there is one God in heaven that loves us. And this is what we're going to see here. Because as an expression of God's love, He sent His Son, His only Son, to die for you and for me. Now the text that was read, read today, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through, 4, uh, through 22, I'm going to, I'm going to divide this uh, this scripture in three sections and I'm gonna cover these three sections uh, I'll basically focus more on the last section but I'd like to to divide it in this way uh, verses 12 to 14 they talk about the saved those who have been redeemed and those who have become partakers in the kingdom of Jesus then verses 20 uh, 15 through 20 Verses 15 to 20, it talks about the universe in general. It talks about the Creator's perfect handiwork. It talks about the cosmic conflict, the great controversy between evil, good and evil. And it talks also about the restoration of the original perfection. And this restoration is provided through the blood of Jesus. That's what we find here. 
And finally, verses 21 and 22 talks about the effect of Jesus' work of salvation in the life of the believer. So these are three sections here. One talking about the redeemed on a very personal level. Then talking about a greater uh, reality, the universe and the cosmic conflict we live in. And finally talking about the effects of Jesus' work in the life of the believer. So rather than asking you if you are special, I'm going to ask you this. And this is just for your reflection. Are you saved? Are you redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Have you been delivered from the power of darkness that Paul talks about here? Have you been brought into the kingdom? I'll let you reflect about that. But I'll say this. Many people say, oh, pastor, you know, I don't really understand salvation. And I must tell you, I usually feel awkward about it. There is so much confusion around. There is so much nonsense. There are so many voices. And that is true. There are. But that's exactly the confusion and the nonsense around you. That's exactly the type of darkness Paul is talking about here. That's exactly the, dark, the darkness he's talking about, where the redeemed have been rescued from. So this message is very much for you and for me. Someone once said, the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to believe. But you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared to hope. So the Apostle Paul is saying here in verses 12, 13, and 14, that the Father has qualified you to be partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father has qualified you. And, and this is how He qualifies you. He qualifies you by delivering you from the confusion, from the nonsense, from the power of darkness that is around us. And He qualifies you by bringing you into the kingdom of His Son. So in essence, it is through the blood of Jesus that the redemption and forgiveness of sin are provided. So one may ask, the blood of Jesus, how is that? How can the blood of Jesus give me redemption? How can the blood of Jesus take me out of darkness and bring me to light? Well, you must remember, you should never forget that this is God's work. It is Jesus' work. It is God that qualifies you. And He qualifies you by loving you. There is nothing that we can do by ourselves. God's love was manifested in flesh. And Jesus Christ was revealed in Him. So this redemption, the forgiveness of sin are a gift of love. A gift of God's love. And I must tell you, praise be to God that it is a gift. Because the price that was paid cost the life of Jesus. How could I ever pay for Jesus' life? How could I ever pay for anyone's life? Including my own. So I praise the Lord that this is a gift. But we move here now as we go now to verses 15 to 20. We move from this personal level 
to a universal level. And Paul talks about all things being created by Jesus. So once upon a time there was a perfect world. The weather was perfect. It was even better than today. It was never bitterly cold. It was never too hot. The animals did not fear men. Men never killed a single animal, not even for food. The men respected and loved the woman. The woman felt complete next to her men. Colossians 1:15 to 20 shows that at the center of everything was and still is Jesus. That's what we read there. He existed before all things. He created all things. He created the visible and the invisible. He created things, but he also delegated power, authority. He has always held and still holds everything together. Things consist. That's what the Bible says. That's how things consist. It's through Jesus. And even after that strange element called sin was allowed into the everyday life of this planet, still Jesus did not give up. He set to reconcile all things to himself. To restore the original perfection of this world and the perfect balance of the universe. He set to restore peace. And this peace would be restored through the shedding of his own blood. And because, listen to this, because he committed to restore that original perfection. That original perfect state of affairs, we can be assured that he will never leave his central role at the center of everything. He will forever be in that position. He will forever be holding things together. That his commitment. That's his commitment. So my dear friend, this shows you, this shows me how loved you are. You may not be special, you may not feel special, you may not be even feel valued here, but you are loved. You are so loved that for the sake of saving you, for the sake of, sake of filling your life with meaning, for the sake of clearing up all confusion and filling your life with light, Jesus is positioned at the second center of everything. Jesus is both the creator and the sustainer. He is the savior and he is the sacrifice. He is the cornerstone and he is the centerpiece. He is at the center of everything visible and invisible. He will never abandon, abandon the central role he has in this universe. Praise be to God. You can rest assured as the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And I'm insisting on this because it is Jesus at the center of your life that will make all things possible. 
Now you must notice that the work of Jesus affects not only your life, not only my life, but it affects the entire universe. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. The work of Jesus has an effect in the entire universe. Jesus' provisions are made available to any and every human being. So listen to this, and, and never forget this. Please try to keep this in mind as you move forward in your walk with the Lord. If you have been saved, if you have been redeemed, other people must have been redeemed and saved as well, don't you think? If you have been redeemed, there is a great likelihood that others have been redeemed as well. But how do you know? How do we know who has been saved and who has not? How do we know? Do you have, do you have an idea? How do we know who has been saved? I'm not asking how, but how do we know who has been saved and who has not? We don't. We don't. God only knows. God only knows. And this should be a reminder to us. It should be a reminder to us not to be judgmental. To be loving. To, to, have, a, to have a firm stand for Jesus. But to remember that we can't see the heart. God only can. So this brings us to, to the last two verses in today's scripture reading. Verses 21 and 22. But before I go there, let me, let me highlight something here. Something really important. In the, in the previous section we talked about verses 15 to 20. When you get to verse 18... Take a look at verse 18. Something very interesting happens here. And he talks about, talking about Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So right in the middle of this section, verses 15 to 20, we find that Jesus, Paul is saying that Jesus is the head of, of the body, which means that he is the head of the church, which means that he has complete and absolute preeminence in the church. The gospel that the church has been called to proclaim must be centered in Jesus. As pastor, it is my job to point people to Jesus. It is not my job to point people to myself. And as a church, it is our job to point others to Jesus, not even to the church itself. This may, may sound as a surprise, but you know, it is our job to point people to Jesus, not even to the church, because He's the head of the church. But let's reflect on this. How much of our time, how much of our time have we used doing one or the other? How much have we pointed people to Jesus? How frequently have we pointed people to things other than Jesus? 
I have a few questions here for reflection, and let me ask you these questions. And these are, again, just for your reflection. You don't need to answer out loud. But do we go to church so that the pastor can see you there? Do you give your offerings when the deacons pass the plates around? Do you give your offerings? Do you ever reflect that it is God who is receiving those offerings? Do you consider that? Do you give your offerings mainly because the pastor is pressuring you to tithe? Do you read your Bible because you want others to know what you're doing or because you feel the need for it? Do you serve in your church or do you serve elsewhere because you want others to have a great deal of respect for you? Or is there another motivation? Do you look down on people who do not attend church? Do you ever sing to God in worship when you are not in church? Do you ever, ever tell God that you love Him? Do you stop to say that? Are you the same person away from church as you are when you are here in church? Those are things each one of us should reflect upon. Because we have been loved. We have been loved by Jesus and the Apostle Paul says here in verses 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. In his sight. So what Paul is saying here is that once you've been loved by Christ. Once you've been brought out of darkness and confusion and nonsense into Jesus' light. Once you've been redeemed and forgiven through the blood of Christ. Something else follows up. That's not the end of the story. There is a follow up. The follow up is this. In verse 21 Paul says that. There was a time, there was a time when self took control of everything. There was a time when we were alienated. There was a time when Jesus did not have the preeminence in our minds, in our hearts, in our homes, in our church. There was a time when we were like enemies of Christ. But Jesus has called you and I to a different experience. He is calling us to be reconciled in Him as individuals and as a church. No more the pointing of finger. No more fighting for supremacy. No more trying to, to impress each other with what we know or with what we say. No more trying to impress others with the knowledge we may have accumulated but rather in all things, and in everything and in all things, Jesus will have the preeminence. And verse 22, verse 22 is saying that he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So Paul is saying here that, in Christ's perfect body, in Christ's 
perfection. In Christ's righteousness, we will be presented holy. And we can't miss this. We cannot miss this. It is in Christ's perfect righteousness that we will be presented holy. Do you agree with me? That's what I read here. That's what I just read. It says that he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So it's nothing based in you. It's not centered in you. It is through Christ's perfection that we are presented holy, blameless, will be rendered pure in God's eye, in God's eyes, through the perfection of Jesus, will be seen as above reproach. If you forget everything I said here today, keep this in mind and take this with you when you go home. It is through Christ's righteousness that you were made holy, that it is possible for you to be presented holy in His sight. Whenever someone claims holiness, whenever someone claims perfection outside of the merits of Jesus, there is something wrong. The only way you and I can be seen holy, the only way you and, you and I can be rendered holy and perfect is through the righteousness of Christ. Now, there is something I must call your attention to as well. As we get here to the end of verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So it says that you are going to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So if there is any measure of holiness... The Lord only knows it. It is in His sight. It is according to His standards. If there is any measure of perfection, it is God's sight only. I don't have that. So let us never fall into the trap of considering how much holier am I than someone else. How much better am I performing than my brother or my sister? Or how much better am I performing than a non-Christian? That's a terrible one. But you will say, Pastor, are we not supposed to go through the experience of sanctification as we walk with Jesus? Are we not called to be holy? Yes, definitely we have been called to be holy. But still, we are presented holy through the merits of Jesus. So it is always between you and Jesus. It's not between your holiness and someone else's. But someone will say, but pastor, are we not accountable to each other? Yes, we are. In a sense, we are. Everything we do, everything we do has implication on someone else's life. 
It always has. It may not, it might not even be, uh, it may not even have some implication on someone just around you, someone next to you. It could be a couple generations down the road that your actions will have implication, implications on someone else's life. That's true. But again, that responsibility does not place us above anyone else. Peter, in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. 1 Peter 1, 16. Peter says, quoting the Old Testament, he says, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So you and I are called to be holy, but this is a plural. This is a plural, you. Be ye holy, be you all holy. So you are accountable first and foremost to God. You must be holy just like God is holy. So my appeal to you this morning. Again I say if you forget everything I said. Is that you keep in mind that Jesus must be at the center. We've been praying for our church here. We've been praying for, for the growth of this church We've been praying that this church may, may represent Jesus well in this community. But it all starts with our personal relationship with Jesus. We must lead a praying life. We must lead a, a committed life. And we must understand that if I do this, and my brother and sister does the same, we'll all come closer together. To the ideal that God has for us. But let us not, not. Let us never fall into the trap. Of comparing ourselves to others. Let Jesus take care. Of that. Let us remember that we have. Our duty first and foremost. To our loving Savior. Who gave his life for us. And let us pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. As the day approaches of the second coming of Jesus, let's encourage one another and pray for each other. So that when the Lord comes, He may look at us and see a holy people. People who are considered holy based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is my prayer for you and for us this morning. Amen.